whatever it may be, there's something better for you here. Let me promote you and protect you. And the only way that I can get your attention is to give you a L, a pain, setback, loss. This is the playbook. All right, here we go. Number one question, how can we get more comfortable with our losses and turn them into lessons? Uh, well, first of all, you have to have faith. You know, if you don't have faith, there's something bigger than you that loves you more than you love your children or that my mom loves me. If you don't know that, then it's difficult to see the lessons, to look at the mistakes, failures, setbacks, and pain as lessons, the losses in our life. The L column is lessons. Uh, for me, in the context of learning, the W column is a waste of time. The L column is the lessons. And so it's better in the context of learning to have a huge L column. Uh, of course, we wanna have the Ws that prove we have learned the lesson because when you learn the lesson, you'll have a W. If you haven't learned the lesson, it'll be in the L column uh, for lessons, a loss, a mistake, a setback, a failure, some pain. But in order for you to believe that you're being promoted and protected at all times, you need to uh, have faith that there is an omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing that is telling you this relationship is not good. This job is not good. This money is not good. Whatever it may be, there's something better for you here. Let me promote you and protect you. And the only way that I can get your attention is to give you a L, a pain, setback, failure loss. And when you learn the lesson, the L turns to a W. Uh, so let's all turn all of our L's into W's, uh, understanding that we have learned the lesson when we get the W. We're just executing on what we already know. Those L column things are very, very valuable. So we can convert them into W's. All righty. Go ahead, Jake. We'll have Jesse come up. Welcome, Jesse, and turn your L's into W's. Thank you for that. Jesse, welcome to the clubhouse. What question do you have today for Dave? Hi, everyone. Um, thanks for having me up. Uh, happy birthday, Miles. Um, that was literally my question. Well, not word for word, but like general same idea. So, um, well, I guess, so just extending on it, like how do you stop not feeling like guilty for it? like having those losses, even though I'm like, I'm supposed to learn something, I guess, but like, yeah. So guilt, guilt, a lot of people don't realize that guilt is the same as anger, anxiety, frustration, separation, inferiority, superiority, uh, offense, resentment, all of them, uh, complaints and worry, all of them are ego-based consciousness. So, uh, we cannot stop feeling guilty. We can't stop being angry, frustrated, you know, resentful, offended, separate, inferior, superior. Uh, any of these feelings are natural because they're in the context of the ego, of the conscious ego, and it's just protecting us. The key component that I try to teach people is to only spend minutes and moments feeling guilty. Uh, you need to have a practice in order to identify that which most creates interference or puts us into a trajectory outside of where we want to go. And guilt is one of those things. So that as you're learning the lessons from the mistakes, failures, and setbacks from the L column, in order to convert them to the W column, you need to identify what's stopping us from learning. And what's stopping us from learning 
are these interfering needs of the ego, these interfering worries, complaints, guilt, resentment, offense, separation, anger, frustration, anxiety. These are interfering with the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing. These are um, these are interfering with our potential. And so if we can take a step outside of the emotion and say to ourselves, I'm going to practice identifying, I'm going to practice identifying the needs of the ego so that I do not interfere with my higher self, my potential, my greater good, my happiness. And so every time I feel guilty, instead of trying to out logic it, change my mind, I simply, instead of resisting it, fighting it, going over it, under it, through it, around it, what I want to do is just stop. Stop and identify it. And then breathe through my nose and out through my mouth. Get to center, get to peace, get to ease. Because when I'm in the guilty conscious, I'm at dis-ease. I want to be at ease so I can take advantage of the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing. I can take advantage of the unbelievable light and power that I'm connected to and through. And if I cannot identify these needs like guilt, resentment, offense, the need to be right, angry, frustrated, anxious, guilty, inferior, superior, whatever it may be, if I can't identify it, then all I'm going to do is accelerate in the wrong direction, continue down a snowball path of anxiety, fear, guilt, interference, and dis-ease. And eventually, my learning zone will constrict down to the size of my comfort zone instead of expanding out into the size of my anxiety zone. To identify the ego-based consciousness is the way to put us at ease. You are halfway there, Jesse, because you have started to identify this emotion, this interference, this dis-ease called guilt. So next time you feel guilty, instead of resisting it, outlogicking it, thinking about it, just simply stop. Breathe through your nose, out through your mouth, and remind, remember, and reconnect what you're connected to and through the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing, and remind, remember, and recollect what you want today, who you can help with what you want, who can help you with what you want, how best to get that done, and prioritize accordingly, not prioritizing guilt, anger, frustration, anxiety, and depression, but prioritizing what you want personally, experientially, giving and receiving, and you will be able to apply your why by identifying the ego-based consciousness, knowing your mind, your body, and soul are on fire, and stop, drop, and roll, rolling in the right direction towards this room that we're in today, the room of improvement. The only room you should be in is the room of improvement, progress, not perfection. This is the journey that we're all on. What extraordinary way to start off BYOQ. It's Friday training on Thursday. We've been doing this for over 22 years. Uh, we will, of course, have our replays on Friday, but I don't miss a week. Even if I'm in the air to Europe, it's not going to matter. Uh, I'm going to get this done on Thursday instead of Friday. Go ahead, Jakey. Why don't you uh, set uh, the room real quick or tell me who's coming up next. I'll take another question online. Of course, and the only room we should be in is the room for improvement. That's a great line right there. When you get back to your day, we got Blaine ready to ask you a question. On Perfect. All right, um, I'll take a question on TikTok here. What's your relationship between cause and effect? Uh, this is one of my favorite uh, questions because I talk about attaching your emotions to an outcome or an effect. Uh, and all that we do 
is you don't ever set your emotions towards the outcome. What you want to do is put your emotions on what we need to do or the cause of the outcome in order to get there. Uh, so many people don't reconcile wanting outcomes, but putting their emotions on the cause to get to that outcome. Let me give you the example I've been using lately. Uh, if we wanted to drive from South by Southwest in Austin to San Diego, and we knew we wanted to get to San Diego, that would be an effect. That would be an outcome that we wanted. Once we know personally, experientially, giving and receiving wise, we want to be in San Diego, we now take our emotions and put them on the cause to get to San Diego, not the effect of San Diego. Meaning if we drive to San Diego and everyone says, oh, I can't wait till I get to San Diego. I can't wait till I get to San Diego. I'll be so happy when I get to San Diego. How long is it till we get to San Diego? Oh, I'm going to be so happy when I get to San Diego. It's going to take both in pragmatic time a lot longer and in relative time exponentially longer. If we know we want to go to San Diego from South by Southwest in Austin, and we move our emotions, our energy in motion towards the cause to get to San Diego, and all we do is focus our attention and the five levels of intention on how can I go faster? What's the more efficient directions? Don't stop for gas. Don't stop for take a pee, whatever it may be. If we put our attention and intention on the cause, not only, of course, would we speed up the pragmatic time by being more efficient, effective, and statistically successful in the drive from Austin to San Diego, but in relative time, exponentially, it'll seem faster when we're putting our attention and intention on the cause, not the effect. Remember, the interval between cause and effect is time. There's two types of time. Man-made constructive time, which is created with efficiency, effectiveness, and statistical success using the lenses of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. And then there's relative time. And relative time is effectuated by your emotions. We need to make sure that we're putting our emotions and attention and intention on the cause. Therefore, we'll be more efficient, effective, and statistically successful, as well as knowing the effect, but not putting our emotions or tying our emotions or attaching our emotions to the outcome or the effect of San Diego, because all that will do is slow down the pragmatic man-made construct of time and also exponentially the relativity of time. All right, Jakey Bakey, remember the interval between cause and effect, cause and outcome is called time, two types of time. Now you know where to put your attention, your intention, and your emotion. Boom. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much. Uh, incredible knowledge being shared here in the future of work, the road to revenue and happiness, free training, BYOQ. So if anyone has any questions, feel free to raise their hand there at the bottom or back channel me as well. Thank you for taking that question on TikTok. Let's take a question here on Clubhouse from Blaine. Blaine, if you can please unmute yourself and feel free to ask away. Uh, my question today is uh, connected to free agency since that's going on right now. What was the best lesson that you learned about negotiation during your time as an agent? Well, the best lesson I've learned of negotiation is outside the time as an agent. Uh, I learned a bunch of uh, different lessons in negotiation based off of scarcity when I was an agent. Um, one of the scarce techniques that is utilized in a more abundant approach would be the spheres of influence. Um, and the spheres of influence is the basis of my um, 
open-ended question guide is the basis of my open-minded approach. Um, so uh, I don't do things the way other people do things. So while everybody was recruiting, uh, utilizing the family members and the coaches and the players, I would go to the trainers. Uh, I would go to the trainers and uh, the colleges uh, for several reasons. One, nobody goes to the trainers. I would treat the trainers. I'd take them to parties. I'd buy them gifts. Nobody takes care of the trainers. And trainers actually have the ears and the influence of the athletes, especially college athletes. The other advantage of talking to trainers uh, is they are very open-minded because they're not being approached by every agent and they are not being asked by or helped by, right? Doing for who can I help? Who can help me? They're not being asked either way or either direction to be a sponsor or a power sponsor of the agent. Meaning, do they know an athlete that would want to sign with me or do they themselves want to help me sign an athlete? And do they know an athlete that wants to sign with me? So what I would do is pay attention and give attention to the trainer in that type of negotiation uh, in the recruitment uh, of the athlete. Uh, that's the, the one area. Now, as far as negotiation, uh, everything about being a lawyer and an agent uh, is in a quid pro quo model. Uh, it's a prioritization uh, when I was an agent of you know giving to receive, uh, walk away close, people buy on emotion for logical reasons. You're not ready to close until you're ready to walk. <laughs> There's so many different rules in a scarce model it's difficult for me to apply today's philosophy and strategy uh, to what I used to do. Today, there is no negotiation in my life. There's only finding open minds, asking how I could be of service or value by seeing and asking open-ended questions. I give out, Blaine, an open-ended question guide uh, that is the easiest, fastest way to negotiate. It's simply, hey, what do you want today? What do you like about this? What don't you like about this? Would it help you if I did this? Would it help you if I did this? Would it help you if I did this? And then I say, do you know anyone that could help me? Or could you help me? What I'm doing is creating an atmosphere and a network of sponsors, people who help each other uh, find someone to help or power sponsors, people who actually help each other and find other people to help. An abundant negotiation is receiving to give to knowing that there's more than enough of everything for everyone it is and needs to be and falls within the context of being more interested than interesting. And so by using open-ended question minds, by finding out what's valuable and prioritized by the other party and seeing how you can provide what's prioritized and valuable to the other party, and then ask for what's valuable and prioritized by you, you'll find that all negotiations are abundant, are frictionless, are at ease, not at dis-ease. Don't be scarce. There isn't a zero sum game like most agents in the world, especially during free agency, uh, determine there is no zero sum game. It's actually a value add game. So those who can add the most value will get the most in free agency. Uh, thanks so much, Jakey. Why don't you go ahead and uh, set the room? I'll take another question online. Feel free to email him, David at 
gmail.com, david at dmelzer.com. When you get back, Dave, we got a question from Claudio, and then we can take a question on Instagram as well. All right, sounds good. So I'll take a question here. What's uh, What should someone do if they feel they have nowhere to turn? Uh, well, if you feel you have nowhere to turn, you can reach out to me, david at dmelzer.com. I'm sure I know someone that can help you. So if you feel like you have nowhere to turn, just email me, david at dmelzer.com. I give five-minute phone calls to anyone. You're welcome to email me directly. I'm happy to give you that open-ended question guide as well. Uh, just email me directly. If you don't want to email me or call me and you're too afraid uh, to share what's bothering you and, and you don't have anywhere to turn, then turn to good deeds. Go do something good. Let the universe provide you the answers by doing good deeds. I always say, be kind to your future self. Do good deeds. The only way we can change our emotions is by action. The best action we could take is go help somebody. If you don't feel like seeing anyone, then go pick up trash. Go smile at people. Do something that is good. And I promise it will shift the way you feel that you will reach that last level of intention and shift your feeling so that you start doing, saying, thinking, and believing this feeling. Feeling is the highest level of emotion. So you have two choices. Uh, you can come and ask me for help, david at dmelzer.com, or go do something good for someone else. That's what you do if you have no one to turn to.